2: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to TV's top five, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, the West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined, as always, by the one, the only, the amazing, the great, Mr. Daniel Feinberg, the Hollywood Reporter's chief TV critic. Sup, my friend oh very little sup with you oh my mom was in the hospital this week so kind of derailed well everything this week so but she's home and resting and i'm here in uh doily and antique city here uh in my mom's kitchen (laughs) recording our pod but she's resting at home and it's uh the best thing that happened
1: if only the listeners could see all of the plates well we are all glad and we are all thank you tv's top five nation is sending out whatever good vibes tv's top five nation has available so thank you yeah
0: she scared the shit out of me so yeah but uh yeah she's she's home she's good she's healthy she's bopping around the house nagging me like a good jewish mom and uh i am extremely grateful for the kindness of family and friends and amazing colleagues such as yourself dan so well, Thank you, guys.
1: She she is, after all, the original friend of the five. So uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. She says I say like too much. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I can't help it. I'm a child of the '80s. That comes out. I don't that's even what parents it
1: do. Um, there was there was some situation in which about a hundred years ago, uh, my father, when we still lived in Mississippi, way back in the day, did some radio interview about God only knows what. And uh, he came home and I said, and I was probably 10 or 11 at the time. And I said, you were good, but you said, um, twice, uh, which is oh, the kind, oh, oh, which is the kind of thing that, rest assured, my <laughs> father still resents me for. Uh, so. Also,
0: always a critic, Dan, since the early age of what, 10 or 11? Oh, for
1: sure. He's... No, for for sure. I was a critic. So apologies to my dad. Um, and you don't say like too much. So you say it yeah. just the right amount. But anyway, so like, totally. <laughs> I don't think anyone particularly thinks of you as being a valley girl, Leslie. Uh, so,
0: <laughs> I kind of was, but well, well, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm trying to ignore seeing all the old photos of me up on the walls here. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's a big, there's one with a very large Jufro. So. <laughs> setting the stage here on audio thank god it's not on the internet (laughs)
1: style stylish then stylish now leslie yes of course
0: this beanie that i'm wearing is super stylish
1: you are definitely you are very gray right now (laughs)
0: yeah it's been a it's been a week it's been a year actually honestly and here we are in march well there's been a busy it's been a busy couple of weeks uh on the tv front um right after we were finished recording last week abc announced the Goldbergs was ending. That was a good topic. Could have been great for last week, but we'll talk about it briefly in headlines in a second. And there's just a ton of stuff happening. We didn't even talk about the Disney reorg that sees John Landgraf adding Nat Geo and the Onyx Collective and Simran Sihi, who's awesome, by the way, let me tell you, former Freeform exec who's been Craig's number two over at Hulu and ABC. She get, got freeform in the big reorg under Dana Walden as she kind of shovels her exec ranks. Simron, of course, started as Carrie Burke's number two when Carrie Burke used to run freeform. So she's, uh, Simron is definitely a rising star in, on, in the Disney executive fold of things. And as for Onyx and freeform, well, Tara Duncan continues to oversee that studio. And yeah, now she reports to John Landgraf. That's a pretty cool gig. So. And a great sign of confidence from Dana Walden for Tara Duncan. So I'm a big fan of hers. And
1: Onyx Collective's already been trying to do the same sort of branding thing that FX has been doing, where things air on Hulu, Hulu. maybe, but they really want us to mention it's Onyx Collective's dot, dot, dot on Hulu in the same way as FX on Hulu. So this yeah, is. Yeah, in the
0: same way that Shameless isn't a Netflix original, it was actually produced by Warner Brothers for Showtime but streams in SVOD on Netflix. So if, if you think Shameless is a Netflix original, well, you're just upset. <laughs> Showtime and Warner Brothers.
1: It sounds like that's based on a personal experience in like the last 24 hours, somebody telling you about Netflix is Shameless. No, it's been a
0: bone <laughs> of contention. Like I remember going back way back when when David Nevins used to talk uh, at and take the stage as the show, part of the Showtime executive time at TCA. This is back when executives still did TCA. They're still welcome that's to in the future. A dig, yes, at executives stop hiding from us we won't bite unless well unless you kind of deserve it sometimes we bite um anyway but yeah he used to come out and say there was one time where he like the first 10 minutes was all about how big of a hit shameless really is but everyone thinks that netflix is produces it because but that's where people watch it the most so it was obviously that's been a you know a narrative that from the last god 10 years eight years i don't know anyway but we'll we'll get into that but uh yeah. Anyway, look at us. We're already talking about business deals and, and all this other stuff. And we haven't even started headlines, Dan.
1: Then I say we should do that.
0: Number one. I'm going to lead us off. Star Trek Discovery. The series that relaunched the Trek franchise and helped the streamer formerly known as CBS All Access will end its run in 2024 with its fifth and final season on Paramount+. It follows news of the final season of Star Trek Picard, which is currently streaming on Paramount+. And as a reminder, you can go back and listen to a really good conversation with one of my favorite showrunner guests, Alex Kurtzman, back in episode 90 from October 2020, when we asked him all about how much elasticity there is in the Trek franchise and how much is too much and not enough. So that still holds true.
1: That was a very, very long time ago. But but a good interview. It was, absolutely.
0: And good interviews stand the test of time.
1: Continuing, True Detective creator Nick Pizzolatto has set up his next project. It's an untitled Western, and it's at Amazon with a script to series order for a drama that counts. Better call Saul an interview with the vampire's Mark Johnson as executive producer.
0: So HBO was like, thanks. We're good. We don't need you to do True Detective. We're going to hand that over to a different creative team. But your name will still be on it, even though you're not involved in it in the slightest. And you'll probably get paid for it. He was going to do Redeemer with Matthew McConaughey at FX as part of a big first look deal with FX Productions and what used to be Fox 21 with Burt Salke. Then McConaughey left the show. FX passed on the scripts that they saw and then they decided that there was no need to keep paying him for three more years. So they negotiated an early end to his deal at Disney. And then now here we are at setting up shop at Amazon. And, you know, as we've talked about on on this show many, many times, they really like spending money.
1: <laughs> Which reminds me, I have to go order some things via Amazon Prime. <laughs> I really don't.
0: Up next, Dan Harmon's animated series, Crapopolis. That's a fun one to say. Crapopolis has been renewed for a third season. That's right. It's not season two, but season three. The show has yet to premiere on Fox, but what's also interesting here is that the network has moved the series that was expected to premiere this year into next broadcast season, which is the 23-24 cycle.
1: God, I feel like they have been talking about that show now for like... Four or five years, probably yeah. because at this point, they probably have been talking about that show now for four or five years.
0: I mean, and look, they picked it up straight to series. They own it, which is really good for them to to keep touting the, how big they thought this the, how big they think this show is going to be. Uh, Michael Thorne, who oversees scripted over at Fox, did a couple did a round of press interviews about the show and he believes that that the lead character in that show is going to be just as popular as a member of The Simpsons or as some of the main characters from Family Guy or Bob's Burgers. And my answer to that is, prove it
1: <laughs> oh show me the show my answer to that it's renewed
0: for season three i get look animation takes a long time to do and obviously getting ahead of it especially with a writer's strike coming or potential writer's strike coming i mean come on that's big one of the industry's big fears right now and we'll get to that in, in a future episode as we get a little bit more clarity going into uh, heading into may but that's really smart of them to continue to order and hype this but show us the show <laughs>
1: Also, I can say that if someone wants to tell me it's going to be a, that this show is going to be as popular as The Simpsons or other things like that, it's not. No. It, nothing is going to be as popular as The Simpsons or really probably Bob's Burgers or anything like that. But maybe it'll be good. I, You know, who the hell knows? <laughs> there's, There's absolutely no way of knowing. But anyway. It is always still fun to say Krapopolis. It would be even more fun at some point to say Crapopolis in the context of actually seeing what the show was and knowing what the show was. But who knows? Next year, apparently.
0: Yeah. And also, maybe this has something to do with the whole Justin Roiland situation. You know, Dan Hart, we know that Roiland hasn't been a part of the creative team really in a notable or meaningful way in some time. But at the same time. Dan Harmon now has the sole reins of that franchise.
1: That would be Rick and Morty,
0: of course. Sorry, what did I say? No,
1: you didn't. You just didn't say.
0: Yeah, I mean, anyway, you get what I'm saying. I do. It's fine.
1: Continuing along, Robert De Niro is the latest movie person who hasn't really done TV, who's going to do TV, and he's of course done HBO movies and whatnot, but he will be making his TV series regular debut as the lead of the Netflix thriller Zero Day from Narcos showrunner Eric Newman and former NBC News president Noah Oppenheim. The streaming giant has also ordered an untitled comedy from Aaron Foster with Kristen Bell set to star and reboot and modern family creator Steve Levitan and, of course, multiple time former TV's Top 5 guest, Steve Levitan, set to executive produce. In other casting news, Andre Brower is joining the cast of Netflix's and The Residents, along with This Is Us grad Susan Kleeke Watson, Jason Lee, and many, many other stars. I think 11 stars were announced this week. Uh, Uzo Aduba was previously announced to star. Uh, it was also revealed this week in a talk show appearance because... Sure, why not break news that way, that Damian Lewis will be returning to Showtime's Billions for its upcoming seventh season. The actor, who previously, of course, starred in Homeland for The Cabler, exited after season five, and he'll appear in six of the new season's 12 episodes. Uh And what's notable here is that, of course, as we discussed in depth a couple weeks ago, I guess, uh, Showtime announced that it's developing three, four, five different spinoffs. Of billions, I, I believe uh, Leslie said that they were like trillions, zillions, millions, and I don't know what the other ones were.
0: And gajillions? Did I not? Did you not say gajillions?
1: I did not get to gajillions, but I think I'm it, being sarcastic. I think that's that's it was really assumed. Name,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and in news from late Friday. Last Friday, that is. Greg Berlanti's DC Comics drama Dead Boy Detectives is moving from HBO Max to Netflix after sources telling me the Warner discovery back streamer would not have been able to air the show until 2024. And considering it doesn't fit with the rest of the new DC regime's larger plans, HBO Max blessed Studio Warner Brothers Television to shop the show elsewhere. And as I mentioned at the top of the show here, just as we finished recording last week's episode, ABC revealed that the Goldbergs no relation, would end with its current 10th season. So the finale, series finale of the Goldbergs, one of the ABC's holdovers from like six or seven network chiefs ago, will end in May. And wrapping up headlines, this is a real file, this one under News Dump. Better Call Saul grad Michael Mando has been fired from the Apple series Sinking Spring. After clashing with a co-star, Wagner Mora has been tapped to replace him in the series that stars brian tyree henry interesting interesting dan i'm bummed about the goldbergs i stopped watching a few years ago but i'm probably gonna check out the 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 series finale i honestly stopped watching when the creator adam f goldberg moved his deal to sony from sony which produces the goldbergs to disney and disney doesn't own the show at all so he's not creatively involved there's no more cute videos from his adolescence it's kind of yeah, it kind of went off the rails a long time
1: ago. Yeah, it's it's not the same show. There was, there was a period, I think, like, not the first season after Adam F. Goldberg left, but the second season, maybe, where I felt like it was finding kind of its own voice. It wasn't the same show, but it had, I don't know, it had funny moments, so that was enough. Uh, I stopped watching earlier this season, and heaven knows, you know, having made it through 10 seasons to stop watching at a certain point is a weird thing. I think I will tune in towards the end. It, it is notable because ABC had that long run of terrific family shows and modern yeah, the family blocks. Yeah. Blackish, fresh off the boat. Uh, littler shows like Speechless. Uh, it would be Loved wrong. Speechless. It would be wrong to forget about the middle, which ran as long as almost any of them and was a a large hit, obviously for ABC so,
0: and Warner Brothers Television.
1: There was a there was a period though where, because networks are always looking for the next big family hit, there was a period where ABC actually had whatever the recipe was, and I never thought that the Goldbergs was. The best of that group, or really maybe even in the top five in that group, but it was a part of that group. And it was it was a pleasure to be able to have like a solid two hour family sitcom block where you could just watch. And they were they were inclusive families. They were families you'd never seen before on TV. And and now they're not all gone because the Connors was a late addition, but it continues to be there. But but the ones that were the OG shows in that uh block, they are all going to be gone after the Goldbergs is gone. And so that is an end of an era, even if I would never think of it as the Goldbergs era. I mean, it's it's the modern family era, but still it's significant.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, definitely worth noting that obviously this is a show that's owned by an outside studio meaning Disney has to pay a licensing fee for it. Yeah. Cut cost cutting times. Anyway, up next number 2. That's right, it's March, so that means March TV preview. There is a literal shit ton of shows premiering this month and i've edited down a list that you were kind enough to compile for me it's not organized by platform like we usually do but instead by date so i'm just going to run down th- this list i'm going to take a deep breath because this list is long so you've got true lies at cbs the mandalorian is now with us again at disney plus one of your favorites survivor is back on cbs you've got daisy jones and the six on amazon i'm excited for that one i haven't had time to sample it yet Netflix gets into further into the live streaming space with Chris Rock, Selective Outrage, the comedy special. Hulu's got History of the World, part two. Over at HBO, you've got Perry Mason, season two, and then Rain Dogs. Fox returns to for ridicule with Farmer Wants a Wife. Paramount Plus has a YA project in School Spirits. You've got part two of You. You just heard our interview with Sarah Gamble a couple of episodes ago. Hulu has the Onyx collective show, Unprisoned. You've got the Oscars going on in the middle of the month. That's March 12th and airing on ABC. And I'm obviously biased for this next one, but Gotham Knights, the show my wife co-created. Coming out on The CW, March 14th, shameless plug, conflict of interest psych uh, alert here. So yes, obviously she's my wife, but look, it's a DC comic show airing on The CW, produced by Greg Berlanti. I would mention that even if my wife weren't involved. So, And then beyond that, another one of my favorites here, Ted Lasso, season three. We just got the premiere, and Dan, I believe it's embargoed, but uh, it was really fun watching that one, I'll say that.
1: It's definitely embargoed
0: definitely embargo uh netflix goes back for season two of shadow and bone i tried watching that one and well i'll just leave it at that netflix has the animated series agent elvis with matthew mcconaughey voicing elvis and lisa marie presley voicing herself then you've got one that i'm super excited bono and the edge is sort of homecoming with david letterman on disney plus if you're a youtube fan sign me up oh man i cannot watch this fast enough amazon's got class of 07 then you've got over at Apple, Extrapolations, which is the episodic anthology. Amazon has the Donald Glover show Swarm. This is the first show to stem from his overall deal there. AMC has Lucky Hank. Netflix has the the uh, the Night Agent. Hulu launches up here. Uh, FX has great expectations bowing on Hulu. Kiefer Sutherland is back with at least one showrunner on rabbit hole on Paramount plus. Then you've got the fourth and final season of succession, which we will talk about spoiler alert in our next segment. And then another one of my favorite shows of of recent years, yellow jackets is back for season two to see if this show can really avoid the sophomore slump. Apple's got the big door prize. Netflix is unstable. And then Amazon rounds out the month with the power. Dan, Dan, this feels like an v- extremely crowded month.
1: It's an extremely crowded month, and April and May are already getting equally crowded. And this goes back to what we've talked about multiple times, is the television model attempting to basically do what the movies have been doing for multiple decades now, of of making sure that everything kind of sneaks in under the wire before emmy season and so obviously the emmy deadline is may 31st but if you're doing a show that actually rolls out on a weekly basis you have to get the shows premiering by end of march beginning of april or they're not going to be in because uh the television academy changed the rules for hanging episodes and other various eligibility things so basically you want to as much as possible Definitely with limited series, but also with dramas, get as many episodes in before the window as you possibly can. And so that's how you end up with a day like March 26th with Succession and Yellow Jackets going head to head, which is the kind of thing that, you know, is (laughs) that is designed to break Twitter. And that's fine if Elon Musk doesn't do it in the next three weeks ahead of that. I mean, that that double dose of Succession and and Yellow Jackets returning on March 26th is crazy. But it's it might not even be the craziest thing of the month because you also have the Oscars going head to head with the finale of Last of Us on the 12th. So that's a pretty crazy day. Uh, This is just an insane month. You've got all of the you've got all these people who are kind of beloved people who who are having their returns to television. Whether it's, of course, everyone's favorite designated survivor star, uh, <laughs> Keeper Sutherland, you know, making his triumphant return. I could have called him Touch Star Keeper Sutherland returning for Rabbit Hole. Oh, let's
0: keep it on brand for the for, for our friends of the five. I, I, I mean, I, I, I start, do love making that joke with with apologies to Neil Bear.
1: I started where I started there. Don't worry. Um, but then you have. You've got Lucky Hank, which is Bob Odenkirk's return to TV. Not that Bob Odenkirk has been away from TV for any appreciable amount of time. But anyway, Better Call all star Bob Odenkirk hopping right back in with his new TV series. Uh, Lucky Hank is, of course, based on uh, Straight Man, which Richard Russo novel from the mid 90s. They changed the title to Lucky Hank for strange reasons. Presumably because they thought people would think it had to do with sexuality. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Um, but yes, you, you have Swarm, which again is co-created by Don Glover. It stars Dominique Fishback. I don't believe that Amazon has given much indication of what the show is. There was a trailer that kind of made it look like it's a Dark horror satire about fandom that appears to be what it is. I, I can't say with absolute certainty because I haven't seen it. I know nothing about what its actual tone is gonna be, but
0: Hey, but Malia Obama is among the right the show's writing staff. So.
1: No, no, it's uh I would I would say that it is absolutely an intriguing uh show. And, uh, it should be noted that it is co-created with Janine Neighbors, uh, who has worked on shows, including Watchmen. So it's, it's just got a great creative pedigree. And then, as you mentioned, there are all of these shows that have been off the air for a really long time and that people are going to have to remember (laughs) anything at all about them. Uh, when we get to Critics Corner, I'm going to touch on the new season of Perry Mason. You know, we had the, we had the creators of that one on back in 2020 also. Episode seventy five, June nineteenth, twenty twenty. Indeed, and so they've been they've been replaced. There are there are new creators, uh, not new creators. Basically, it's being run by the Nick guys uh, nowadays. And so that's interesting. We'll see. But as I said, I'll talk about that. And just God, just so many TV shows.
0: And and we haven't even talked about the t- about Ted Lasso, which, as far as we know right now, it's not the final season. But no determination has been made about that. Having seen the premiere. Dan, have you watched it yet? I don't, I I don't really watched want to put yet. anything in your head before you look at it. But I, to me, it does feel somewhat like it could be. But that's honestly would not not surprising. That's what Jason Sudeikis has said, that this has always been kind of a three-act show. Obviously, season one is the first act. Season two is the second. Season three is the final. But <laughs>
1: Our listeners are all thanking know, you for explaining what <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> let, me, let me leslie explain some more shit for you guys. Uh, but, like, look see i said like uh <laughs> i'm sorry i'm really punchy right your now your mom's in your
1: head leslie i know
0: i know um and now i just said um so now now your dad is in my head uh
1: that's all confusing. at the same
0: time all we know that a lot of the executives involved in ted lasso including the head of warner brothers television channing dungy obviously her studio produces the show has said that they will obviously they want to keep doing the show but it and they've said that the way that the season ends, it leaves a door open, et cetera. It's up to Jason. And that's we had Bell Lawrence on for shrinking. And, and he and Emmy winner Brett Goldstein kind of said the same thing, that they would love to keep the franchise going, whether it's with a spinoff or with more of the flagship series. So to me, that's I mean, can you imagine Ted Lasso and Succession both ending this with the, this year?
1: I mean, I mean, I can imagine it because it sort of points to the way the television is going. Uh, it yeah. would kind of, it would position things very interestingly for the Emmys is what it would do. And it would probably take away an awful lot of the, of the suspense if suddenly the, the multi Emmy winning juggernauts, if they were both, you know, they both won the, la- they both won the last two comedies and drama Emmy series categories that they were eligible for. So, yeah, it's, it is a, it is a maddening month, especially if you're trying to keep up with things. You can also, uh, when you're paying attention to THR, we're also going to be reviewing a handful of things that aren't premiering until April and May, but are premiering at the South by Southwest Festival. So that's happening as well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, and the Survivor premiere began with somebody Gashing his head open, bumping it into a, an obstacle in the first two minutes. It was definitely the, the most spurting blood that there has ever been in the opening five minutes of the survivor season. So if the rest of the season is anything like that, uh, it's going to be nauseating. Uh, yeah, no, it it is, this is a busy month. And fortunately, you've got us to, to keep track of things somewhat, maybe. <laughs>
0: And speaking of keeping track of things, again, we mentioned this uh, moving on up up next. Number three. We mentioned this at the end of uh, headlines, but obviously so much to talk about here. But Succession officially ending with its fourth season that premieres in just a few weeks on HBO. Dan... Were you surprised by by the decision to end it with season four? I mean, Jesse Armstrong, the creator, has said that it would either end with four or five. And considering the show's position as an as an award season favorite, you kind of thought that maybe it would go five, considering its value to HBO and to Warner, larger and to the larger Warner Brothers Discovery.
1: And I I think there was obviously calculus done. Obviously, at a certain point, everybody knew that this was going to end and then the announcement of it was a was an orchestrated process and there were obviously conversations about how long they wanted to be able to promote it as last season of succession and all of that and from now on everything you see about it is going to be it's all coming to an end it's all coming to an end it's all coming to an end and I can understand why they didn't necessarily want it to be a full year of it it's just now going to be a full two and a half months of it which is Trust me, gonna be plenty. You're definitely gonna be fully convinced that succession is coming to an end by the time it does.
0: But yeah. Yeah, Stay, stay off Twitter on Sunday nights if you don't want to be spoiled. But, but I was,
1: I was surprised. And I, and, and I was just surprised because the MO in the industry tends to be, uh, series renewed for fifth and final season or series review renewed for fourth and final season. That, that just tends to be the way that it goes. And I would have expected. An announcement of a season five to come like the day before premiere, because that also is a way that networks tend to do this, where they can get a little bit of extra promotional juice by doing it time to that. Instead, they didn't. And so, yeah, I was I was a little surprised, but I'm always so relieved when any show ends both on its own terms and before I have any chance to actually resent the shows. And there are so many shows that I just get really, really annoyed with because they've gone on much too long. And I I am grateful that whatever it is that Jesse Armstrong wanted to end this on, that he got to do it and there was never any question that he was going to get to end it however he wanted. This is a, this is a prestige show for HBO. This is, you know, it's not the biggest hit in the world. It's not, you know, it's not even the last of us, uh, but it is, and it's not Game of Thrones. It's not any of those things. And there will always be the conversations about, Oh, it's just a media elite bubble show. It's whatever, whatever. Whereas the people are watching Yellowstone, et cetera, et cetera. And that may be true, but that doesn't make what succession has done and what it has been any less significant for HBO. It is, it is a significant show. And, you know, and now, and now we'll be able to, we'll be able to spend a couple months attempting to take a step back. And evaluate not just what it is at this point, but where it kind of fits into maybe not the peak of the Pantheon, but whatever the next level is, Uh, you know, because I, I think, I, you know, to me, it's not a it's not a top 10 show of all time, but it could absolutely be a top 20 show of all time. It, it, who knows? Hell, it could end spectacularly and then it could be whatever it is. But but yeah, not not surprised if this is what Jesse Armstrong wanted, but I was just surprised by the timing of it. But you know, I'll be i I'll be sad. I I love, I love all of these horrible, horrible people and I like having them on my TV.
0: I'll be really happy when my wife's catchphrase stops being fuck off.
1: Are you a hundred percent sure that she views that as a catchphrase and that she isn't oh, it's just a catchphrase. T- and that she isn't just telling you to fuck off.
0: I mean both can be true, Dan. <laughs> You, as someone who knows my wife well, you, you know both can be true. True story, but it's. <laughs> but, not— I mean, let's let's talk about the ending here for a yeah. second, ignoring my wife's potty mouth. But Logan's got to die, right? I mean, that's how the sh- the series started, right? When everyone thought that he was dying.
1: Uh, it could. I think that. I absolutely-
0: mean, as as Jesse Armstrong said in in the in his profile on the New Yorker, which is how HBO chose to announce the news, uh, was in that feature. But he said that there there is a promise in the title, right? there will be a successor of Wastar Royko, right?
1: And I think that's true. I I think, on the other hand, that if the writers are clever, and I don't think any of us have any question that the writers are careful and clever, uh, it doesn't require that he die. It just requires that something happens that takes him out of that position. And I don't think that whoever actually ascends is going to be Honestly, whoever anyone thinks it's going to be, I think that the irony of the show and the show's darkness almost mandates that whoever, certainly whoever you think would be the best person to run the company, I don't think there's any chance that the best person to run the company is going to be in charge at the end. I think it is going to end up being whatever the most cynical, vaguely twisted ending could possibly be, and I look forward to seeing what that ends up. Being, But I, I think it would be too simple for it to just be any of the Roy kids or anything like that. I think the answer is going to be whatever the darkest, most messed up version of the ending is, is what they're going to choose.
0: I can't wait, Dan. <laughs> I'm really excited for this one. I am, too. But I can wait
1: because I, I really don't want it to end. I it, And it's also I think it's only eight episodes this season. So whatever it is, it's going to be one of those things where... By the, t- when it, when it ends, you're going to be like, good God, the season just started. How could we be done? We were already like that last season when it got to be episode seven or eight. And you're like, wait, how could the season possibly be coming to an end? Uh, so that's what it's going to be. It's going to be, wait, how did we get here so quickly? So I don't want to rush it any more than I need to. I want to be able to savor these last few minutes. And at the same time, I want to be able to enjoy whatever Yellow Jackets season two is going to be premiering on the same night as I might have mentioned. Ten minutes ago.
0: I think the shows that I'm most looking forward to this month, it's, it's probably the big, the big four. I'm going to say the big four because I don't want to get divorced. Uh, <gasps> Ted Lasso, Succession, Yellow Jackets, and go Miss Natalie Abrams, Gotham Knights.
1: Gotham Knights, indeed. Up
0: next. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen The Bride and Groom?
2: 18 plus
0: number four hbo and star lily rose depp have denied a rolling stone report that revealed turmoil on the set of the idol the music drama co-created by the weekend and euphoria boss sam levinson dan we already we talked about this one just last week in our big supersized mailbag if you have a question you'd like to hear us discuss please email us at TV's Top 5 that's a number five at thr.com and We know that they've said that this show is going to premiere this year. It obviously doesn't have a premiere date yet. There have been a couple of teaser trailers for this. But, Dan, where do things stand?
1: Well, the way things stand is that this is a show without a premiere date that now people have been talking about nonstop for this week. So (laughs) I I think probably while HBO doesn't necessarily want this to be the way that the show is being promoted, heaven knows a bunch of people know what the idol is now who didn't know what it was five days ago, so yay. Uh, nothing was particularly good in the story that was in our sister publication, Rolling Stone. Um, and nothing was particular. I mean, it was, I don't think it was shocking. I don't think it was shocking at all. The specifics of it were very specific, but we had already reported 10 months ago, and everyone had reported 10 months ago, that large being reconceived exactly director (laughs) there was that there was basically a new show being made and even in hbo's statement to us and they said the stuff in the story wasn't true or whatever but they emphasized that there had been these original episodes and that they didn't live up to the hbo standard of quality or something to that effect Uh, that was basically what they said uh the Rolling Stone story in specific said that director Amy Seinmetz, uh who is fantastic, um was brought in initially, basically so that there would be a female perspective in the story, and that the story was supposed to be this commentary on the exploitative nature of fame, and then, according again to the story in Rolling Stone, she got squeezed out. Sam Levinson of Euphoria came in, and it became. A st- I mean, he
0: was always attached, yes, he, but yes, he took he, over as director. I think is yes,
1: he was already he was already co creator of the show with The Weekend, uh. But he he took over as director, and according again to the story in Rolling Stone, it became basically the thing that it was satirizing. And this does not hugely shock me. Um, I have never been the biggest fan of Euphoria. I have always thought that Euphoria was tawdry and exploitative, but that it was elevated by a handful of absolutely spectacular performances. And I don't think it takes anything at all away from Zendaya, from Sydney Sweeney, from also from a lot of the technical aspects of it. It's a gorgeously shot show, just beautifully yeah. shot.
0: But the show has- And if you're a parent, terrifying to it, watch, I presume.
1: Absolutely. From what I hear, terrifying to watch. But the show has always felt leering and pervy to me and that is what it is uh people love it it is a massive hit for hbo and it would not be at all surprising that hbo would want sam levinson to be a part of the hbo family going forward and not to be portrayed as the villain in this situation uh apparently there had been a uh minute long joke in the series uh, about one of the main characters doing a cover for Rolling Stone. And so that was the weekend's response to the scandal was by uh, suggesting that Rolling Stone was unhappy because they made fun of Rolling Stone on the show because no one's ever made fun of Rolling Stone before. And therefore, Rolling Stone would do a a thoroughly reported story because of a joke? I it was a it was a nonsensical response. It, for for people who are in the publicity game, uh this was about as bad a piece of damage control as a human being could ever do. So not so great the weekend, uh <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> also, the clip, everyone is this point is making fun of how bad that clip was, of how wooden the acting and the writing in that scene were. So I don't think Tweeting that clip really accomplished anything that the weekend hoped it would, but whatever. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and just because you are talking about clips, you know, obviously we've got the final, we've got the tra- full trailers this week for the final season of Succession, for season three of Ted Lasso, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel de- uh, came out with a teaser for its final season on Amazon, but I think my favorite clip is the promo for Somebody Somewhere for season 2. Did you see that, Dan? I
1: have I have not, but I saw you you tweeted it excitedly. Uh friend of the five Alan Septewall t- tweeted it excitedly. It's, it's a really good show. I'm I'm looking forward to having oh, it. So good. I'm looking forward to having it back. I don't think releasing the uh teaser for that um alongside the controversy about the idol. I don't think it really usurped that in the collective consciousness.
0: Oh, I'm not saying that that was like strategy. I'm just saying you said teaser and my mind immediately went to te- to this footage because it's just, it's so good. You, you've got the star of the show singing uh, Laura Branigan's Gloria. It's just like, first of all, I love that song. And second of all, it's just, I it was like the happy moment that was just... Awesome that I needed to see it at just the right time. Man, I love television for stuff like that.
1: <laughs> and I and I love that that there is still a there is still room for some of the smaller, more fragile shows to to come back because it feels so often like we're talking in our in annoyance about whatever little show that didn't. Breakthrough a 100% that got canceled and you're like, oh, God, people are going to discover that show down the road and they're going to feel so annoyed that they didn't discover it when it was actually airing. And I think that Somebody Somewhere is absolutely the kind of show where it, it has a timeless value to it that is going to allow people to be finding it for years. And so as a result, maybe you should find it now so that it can get a season three and a season four Or however many the creative team wants it to have rather than letting it get canceled and and having to discover it down the road.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a good one. But anyway, honestly, you know, and, you know, just going back and talking about the idol. There's so much TV out right now. It's not surprising and i'm not defending any of this like i you know i stand by good journals and that was a well-reported story there were more than t- a dozen sources on on that so, on that story so i have no doubt that 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 that's re- good work by a good reporter but is are we really surprised that tv that some of these big end tv shows high profile shows are are a mess i mean how, look, don't forget that game of thrones the, the original pilot got reshot don't forget that they had a another pilot for a spin-off that Got scrapped altogether. Like it, Big Bang Theory, one of the, the one of the most successful multicams ever. They reshoot, they threw out the pilot and they recast. Like as more of these show, as these shows get more ambitious, as networks start to get more refined, they want to see where their money's going. They want to invest in things that they know are going to work. And at a network like HBO, they have always, always shown a willingness. To practice patience to get the creative right. And if the creative isn't right, they're going to come out and say, yeah, we're starting over. I mean, at this point, they're, they're, though, they're going to probably have to renew that show to amortize some of the costs. Because, like, you know, look, House of the Dragon costs $125 million for a full season. And this doesn't have any of that fantasy stuff. There's no VFX. It's not like flying dragons and shit like that, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised when I read that... that that a, an ambitious show is a mess. So... I, I'm not surprised, and... You could do this for, like... I mean, how many times do I, do we talk about shows changing showrunners? Practically, like, every Amazon show I feel like we've talked about has changed showrunners.
1: There is no question that shows can overcome a fair amount of creative tumult in order to become good shows. And certainly, I will be curious to see what, what this... Actually looks like, you know, they released the trailer last year and the trailer was, was intentionally chaotic. Uh, and that's what they chose to sell it as was kind of here's, <laughs> here's our crazy, crazy, crazy show about fame with, uh, with the weekend, which is what it is. So yeah, no, it look, obviously it doesn't necessarily mean anything about the quality. I would just say that the specifics of the reporting would tend to be cause for additional concern beyond just they reshot some things. But who knows? Uh, We'll we'll see when we actually see it. And maybe it will be audacious and crazy in a good way. And maybe it'll be audacious and crazy in a bad way. It doesn't look like it's going to be boring. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. Number five.
0: As usual, we wrap things up with a Critics Corner. Dan, we've just run down a bazillion titles. That, no, that's not a billion spinoff, but it could be. We have run down several titles premiering this month. What do you have for us this week?
1: Yeah, there's there's so much stuff. And honestly, could just sort of race through a bunch of things. Like, for example, True Lies. It already premiered. It premiered on Wednesday. Uh, it is both in no way on the epic ...action-heavy scale of the movie, nor, however, is it as pretty much reprehensibly xenophobic and misogynistic as the movie is. I I rewatched the movie for the first time in, in decades in preparation for the series, and man, that is a weird, weird movie. It is simultaneously... One tremendous set piece after another, and then one thing that really makes you cringe after another with its ickiness. So anyway, the series is, is not really very good, but it, it kind of fits into the CBS action franchise brand. And I think it's a good vehicle for Ginger Gonzaga, who I always really, really like. And so I think she's got a good role here. And there's that. Um, The Mandalorian premiered this week. Uh, the first episode was, and this will be taken the wrong way, but my favorite thing about it was that it was 34 minutes. Uh, And like I said, you're going to take it the wrong way, but part of my concern about the show was that I really liked how zippy it was in the first season, and I thought the second season maybe got a little bit more bloated, and I appreciated that the premiere felt zippy it moved things along it was characters bouncing from one little mini mission after another and then it was just so much uh pandering for the most part in ways that appear to be wholly successful i mean you have you have freaking baby yoda hugging a little babu freak type character whatever the heck that that character's uh species is. I have no idea. But once you have Baby Yoda hugging an adorable little Babu freak, you know, come on. That's that's just giving the kids what they want. Uh, they did a quick acknowledgement of what happened with uh, Gina Carano's character. That at least made people feel gratified that that was acknowledged. There was a whole thing where the Mandalorian had to try to explain to Carl Weathers that he should be calling uh, Baby Yoda Grogu. And Carl Weathers had no interest whatsoever in that and I'm referring to the character played by Carl Weathers I have no idea what actual interest Carl Weathers has in calling baby Yoda by his formal name. Uh anyway, it it went really really quick. It was really fun the whole thing where they were walking through the the city that they were in and it was like one recognizable Star Wars creature after another. That was just, you know, that that was giving the kids what they want to get back into the world. And so can't blame them for that. Uh so okay, let's start looking at things that haven't come out. Uh Daisy Jones and the Six is, of course, based on the very, very popular book by Taylor Jenkins Reed. I know some people loved the hell out of that book, uh, which is kind of a a veiled version of the Fleetwood Mac story um, about a early 70s band in which everybody's screwing everybody and everybody's on drugs and they produce an album of genius and fall apart. Uh, the series was initially created by uh, Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber. I should note here that Scott Neustadter was my very first college film editor when I, as a freshman, wrote my review of Hackers for 34th Street at the Daily Pennsylvanian it was edited by Scott Newstatter um and show run by Scott Newstatter and TV's top 5 guest uh Will Graham again not the Hannibal character but the League of Our League of Their Own creator speaking of Amazon season 2 of League of Their Own come on season 2 of high school season 2 of high school sure absolutely <laughs> um, so anyway uh I didn't love the book as much as as some people did. Uh, I liked the the oral history conceit of it. Um, I thought it read ridiculously fast and and well. And I did get caught up in the the different minglings of the characters. On the other hand, I thought it was kind of a a nonstop assortment of various rock and roll cliches. Uh, that just was sort of covered because a couple of the characters were really fun. I think the TV series is a lot like that. Uh, to me, I think it probably would have been better suited as eight episodes or even six episodes. I feel like 10 episodes is is a lot. But I think that people who liked the book are very likely to like the series a lot. I think a lot of the core performances are very, very appealing uh, particularly, uh, Riley Keough and Sam Claffin who, who have to be likable for the show to work at all. You have to feel like there's a spark between them. And I think there absolutely is. And that is a, a very, very important thing for the show. Um, I think the songs mostly work well enough, which is another hugely important thing. You, you have to believe that some of these are songs that could have been hits in the mid seventies. I think you absolutely do. I liked a lot of the supporting performances. More than anything, I like the supporting performances from the actresses. Um, I think Sam Claffin is the, he's the guy who stands out. But beyond Riley Keough, I think that uh, Camilla Maroney is very, very good here. And I think that Suki Waterhouse is very good. I think that somebody in the casting department had a smart idea because part of the premise of the show is that it's about women who get overlooked in Man's, in a man's world, in a man's industry and, and sort of the genius of, of women sometimes getting pushed to the background. And I really like that they cast a lot of actresses. Who have typically been associated with men, whether it's Riley Keo from her family, of course, that will always be the thing people associate her with. Uh Camilla Maroney, of course, dated uh or Marone, I'm not sure if she how she pronounced that. Uh, she dated Leonardo DiCaprio for a long time. That was how people knew her. Uh Suki Waterhouse, I believe she's dating Robert Pattinson now. But regardless, I, I think part of the point of the show is here's giving these women their voices. And I think part of the casting says here are these women who you associate with with men for no reason except that that's what the celebrity industrial complex wants you to do and they're really good uh particularly uh, Camila Marone who I have to get her name right at some point because I think she's excellent here she's got strong Jessica Paré in Mad Men vibes I think that she sort of gives a an external perspective and then it goes deeper and deeper I think she's really really good uh I think the show's a little bit sanitized. It's it's kind of a, a PG or PG-13 version of a world that definitely should have been R-rated. I, w- I would have loved to have seen more edge and grit to it. Um, and also, I have to say, I watched eight episodes. Um, I was running out of time. The ninth episode starts with a Fleetwood Mac needle drop, and it made me snort so loudly that if you're doing a show that's about a Fleetwood Mac-esque band, maybe don't include the Fleetwood Mac songs in the show, because the soundtrack is so tremendous otherwise. Anyway, continuing along. Um... Perry Mason returns. I've watched three episodes. It feels like a much tighter show than it was in the first season. Um, that is, that is what I will say. The first season, you had to watch a lot of episodes before you actually got to watch Perry Mason go to court. Guess what? Perry Mason's just a lawyer this time around. And that's very appealing. It's, the show still has all of these wonderful 1930s production details. Uh, it still has a very strong supporting cast, which I, I very much enjoy. And obviously Matthew Reese in the lead is, is just having a blast but mostly this is closer to the show that I think a lot of people wanted Perry Mason to be in the first season it's still um it's still a season long mystery that they're trying to solve season long court case so it it still feels like an HBO prestige drama but seriously having Perry Mason in a courtroom is such an important thing for a Perry Mason show and for the most part the first season didn't do that so You got that also premiering Monday on HBO is Rain Dogs, and it is a much smaller show than Perry Mason or The Last of Us or the big HBO shows. But it's a really good show, and I want to encourage people to to check it out. It's not going to be for everyone. It is created by uh, a relatively young and inexperienced uh, creator, Cash Caraway. And it's the story of a 30 something aspiring writer uh, played by Daisy May Cooper, um, who is economically struggling. And she's basically, the entire premise of the series is that she's trying to find a place for, to, to live with her nine, 10 year old daughter. Um, and she kind of is bouncing through all of these people's spare rooms, council flats, uh, battered women's shelters, and it's, she's just bouncing from one place to another. In my review, which should be up on the Hollywood Reporter on, on Friday morning, I, I said it's a lot like The Last of Us, uh, only with, um, with poverty and the place of mushroom zombies. So, so the, basically the economy is the bad guy in the series. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a found family series because the, Proxy father is a uh, wealthy gay guy straight out of prison with a horrible temper tantrum and a variety, horrible temper and a variety of addictions, uh, played very, very well by Jack Farthing it's sometimes an extremely funny show. The writing is, is really, really tight. And some of the actors are extremely funny. Daisy mate Cooper is sometimes quite funny. Jack Farthing is sometimes funny. Uh, Carl Pilkington has a, has a key supporting role later in the season. So people who are amused by his podcast and whatnot, he's actually genuinely acting. Uh, Anna Chancellor has a key role. She's terrific. It, it will not be for everybody. It is a very messy show about messy characters, uh, but I would actually compare it to Somebody Somewhere. I, I think that it has a lot of things in common in its worldview. Uh, it is a little bit darker and sadder than Somebody Somewhere, which is also sometimes a dark and sad show. Uh, but I think, I think it's worth checking out if you like that one as well. And just to wrap things up, because I could seriously go on forever. There are too many damn shows. Uh, History of the World Part 2 on, on Hulu, which premieres next week. It, it's, It's a lot like History of the World Part One, and History of the World Part One, if you remember it with actual clear eyes, is a really hit and miss spoof. Some of the sketches, and everyone will have a different answer on which ones they like the best, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the sketches work really well. Some of the sketches are really dated. Some of the sketches are just one dud after another. It's it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag more towards the positive. I think the Hulu series, which is eight episodes, is also a mixed bag. It's probably more right down the middle, but it definitely has laughs. It has an amazing comedic cast. Uh, the, the sort of core creative forces are Nick Kroll, Ike Baron Holtz, and, uh, Wanda Sykes. And so they're the key actors in a lot of the sketches, but it, it's just one recognizable funny person after another. It, it's a real treat to just see these people pop up and to go, Man, that person must have come in for 15 minutes on a Friday afternoon and they stuck him in a sketch. Uh, so I enjoyed that. It's it, it, not everyone is going to like every sketch. That I'm certain of. I think different people will like different sketches. There are definitely laughs here. And I don't think it's appreciably uh, different or worse than the movie. I think it, I think it fits into that vein. So. Uh, yeah, so to, to do the, the quick recap of many, many things, uh, True Lies is basically a, a, CBS action procedural, uh, and very little ultimately like True Lies, the movie. Uh, it's already premiered. The new season of The Mandalorian has already premiered. It's short and. Also, yay, baby Yoda. So many darn baby Yoda reaction shots. Uh, <laughs> so many. Uh, Daisy Jones and the Six has a lot of great performances, has some really good music. I had definite reservations about it and wish it had been a little bit tighter. Uh, but I think if you loved the book, you will probably love the series. I happen not to have loved the book. So that's what it is. Perry Mason, HBO, Monday. It's back to business, actually in the courtroom. So if you wanted that, it's there. Check out Rain Dogs. It is, it is smaller and, and needs and requires some attention. It's a prickly show, but I like it. And History of the World is not a prickly show. It'll probably just make you laugh some cringe a little, but you'll probably laugh some. <sighs> so
0: much damn TV. Well, for more of Dan's weekly recommendations, because well, how much he's more, got could there more possibly be? You always find new things to say in the newsletter, Dan. <sighs> be sure to subscribe to the Hollywood Reporters. Now see this newsletter and bookmark THR.com slash TV dash reviews for more. That feels like a good place to wrap things up. I'm going to get that on a t-shirt sometime, Dan. Thank you as always for listening to TV's top five, the Hollywood Reporters TV podcast.
1: Subscribe on all of your various podcasting platforms. If you like us, rate us. If you really like us, write a little reviewy thing. I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. They really do help spread the word of mouth. Um, you can always come say hi to us on Twitter. We love to hear what's working and what isn't working. We love to hear what's working more than the other one, but... You know, we, your feedback. We value your feedback is what I'm saying. Uh, she's at snoodit. That's with two O's. I'm at the fine print. That's F-I-E-N. So come say hi. Leslie already told you how you can reach us for future mailbag segments. But to repeat it again, you can email us at TV's Top 5 at thr.com. That's TV's Top 5 the numeral five at thr.com. Yeah. Until next week, Leslie.
0: Until next week, Dan.
2: 18 plus.